Welcome to the Adoption Connection Podcast, where we share resources by and for adoptive and foster moms. I'm Lisa Qualls. And this is Melissa Corkum. Don't worry, we get it and we're here for you. Good morning and welcome to the Adoption Connection Podcast, episode 82. We are still in the midst of a global pandemic and the losses are really starting to pile up. But we want to just lay some groundwork for this idea of grief. And I've seen it in a couple other places. We just wanted to kind of throw it out there if you haven't really thought too much about it or really paused to think how your children might be demonstrating their processing of grief. Of course, they probably aren't coming out to say, I'm sad or I'm grieving, right? They're probably showing it in big emotions and big behaviors. Right. And I I think that um, what might look like disappointment, it's more than disappointment. This is very jarring for them. I mean, I think how every once in a while, it just hits me how strange and hard this is. So we can imagine how it must feel for our kids. Yeah, for sure. And um, we have to remember, Dr. Purvis used to say that sad can look mad. And so I know we've seen increased aggression, some other big behaviors with our kids. And it's really easy for those big behaviors to knock up against our values about what is appropriate and respectful. And we're already frayed a little bit around the edges. So we're probably reacting. Our negativity bias is probably at an all-time high right now. Uh, So we just wanted to come on and just encourage you to pause a little bit and think about this idea of grief. Um, It's not quite a a traumatic grief like, um, like a death so much, but there are some things that our kids will experience as trauma if we're not kind of walking through it with them and giving them the space to kind of narrate it and process it. Um, And, but also thinking about, you know, if a big traumatic grief or loss had happened in your family, like a death just two weeks ago, right? That's how this has happened. And then maybe you found out um, something else, you know, sad through that. Cause this has kind of been like an ongoing situation. You know, what would you imagine your family life to be like? Would you still be, you know, forcing your kids to go to school? Like what kind of expectations would you have if you were coming off um, kind of like a a death where we kind of associate a time of of grieving? Um, And I know Lisa, unfortunately you guys have walked that. Um, So I don't know, do you mind sharing just like a little bit about how much time it took to process some of that? Sure. And, you know, like we're saying, this is not a loss like a death, but there are things that our children, some of our children in particular are losing that they will never get back. You know, I think about some of us have high school seniors. My daughter's a high school senior. There are things she's that she thought she would have this year that she will never have. Whether or not they're going to have a graduation, I don't know. But there will be no prom. There will be no senior sneak. There will be no honors dinner. All these things that you know, it's a accumulation or a culmination, that's the right word, of lots of years of school. And there are just lots of disappointments for kids with athletics or all kinds of different things. And I think when we talk about it as grief, I think it helps us remember to be gentle to one another and gentle with our children and to keep our expectations really realistic and fairly probably low. We do not want to be placing extra demands during this time because this is hard for them. And, you know, our kids too, they're experiencing the loss of their teachers and friends in a lot of ways. Like they may still be having online class or, 
you know, connecting with their friends on their phones or whatever, if they're young teens or teens like mine are, but um, it's not the same and they are missing their friends and teachers. So, you know, when we went through a horrible, horrible loss, when we were in a car accident and lost one of our daughters, um, we really sort of pulled in as a family a little bit and we were very gentle with each other. And we did not expect much of each other at all, except just, um, I think we expected some extra kindness toward each other, which was easier for some of our kids than others. But I didn't expect my kids to go back to school. In fact, we let them decide when they were going to go back to school. Um, we didn't do necessarily regular chores or anything in those early weeks, I would say. Um, and this is a little different because we know our kids do need structure together with nurture to feel safe. So there, we still need to be have some expectations, but I think we have to be very realistic that their little hearts and their minds and their bodies are experiencing deep loss right now. Yeah, and I think it's triggering for some of our kids, depending on their story, because loss feels the same in our body as maybe other losses that they've experienced. So this might not be the big traumatic loss, but it might feel in their body like losing a birth mom or a first mom or like mm -hmm. losing siblings or, or a placement or some other thing. And so our population has kind of this extra layer um, where loss and grief can trigger just this whole avalanche of other past experiences that a lot of other kind of neurotypical kids without trauma and loss in their past won't have, you know, accumulation of all of that together with this loss experience. Well, and it may feel a little bit um, like broken promises, which can trigger a lot of sad, mad feelings because they had every reason to believe that they were going to go to school and they had every reason to believe that they were going to play their soccer games or, you know, in the big stuff, have a high school graduation. Some of us who have adult kids, you may have kids experiencing deep losses with maybe even a wedding or something really important. Um, and so you can imagine that this would trigger like, well, you told me, that it was going to be this way and it's not. And so that can, that can bring up feelings of betrayal and I think anger. So we just need to be insightful about what our kids might be feeling. And if they'll let us help them put words to it, then that's a good thing because we do know, we talk about, you know, we name it to tame it. And if we can help them figure out, Oh, I feel really let down or I feel really sad or, you know, whatever it is, it helps them, I think, process better. Yeah. So I think that's kind of the practical takeaway in this is kind of narrating a little this a little bit, saying those sentences like, oh, man, it must you must be feeling really sad about those things or I'm feeling really sad, you know, about this or for you. Uh, if you have older kids, they may be tempted to say, no, I'm not immediately. Just I think it's just a knee jerk reaction. But I wouldn't let that discourage you from just dropping some breadcrumbs of giving some words to some of the feelings they're having in case they haven't identified it. Um, Cause I know for, it, it took me a little bit to realize, Oh yeah, like I'm sad and I'm going to continue to be sad for a little bit about this whole situation. Right. I mean, there are big disappointments for us as adults, you know, especially for those of us who, whose kids are in school and we thought we had a, a couple months here 
to sort of gear up and to plan a summer and figure out how we were going to stay happy and healthy through those months. And that time is now gone. I mean, I've had personally a big disappointment. I'm hearing static. I'm trying to figure out where no. that is. Um, is that you? Myself. It might be me. Okay. okay. Um, you know, I've had a big disappointment where I was supposed to fly to San Diego to record my audiobook on the Monday after Easter. And I cannot tell you how like deeply disappointing that is for me. And I also have some of my children living down there. So I was super excited to get to visit them. One of my daughters is in Mexico, living and working there, doing ministry. And I was excited to see her. And so that just keeps coming back to me how really sad and disappointed I am about that, as well as a number of other things related to the book. And so, you know, our, I think it, when we think about it, there are things we're missing too and that we're disappointed about. And it's okay for us to feel that way. And it, it's really, I think, important to talk with people about those disappointments and that sadness and and maybe even some of our anger. You know, this, this is really a ripoff at the end of the school year, right? I mean, this is really not awesome for me. <laughs> so I'm sure other people are feeling the same way. To give you some more context on grief, we're going to share a conversation Lisa and I had about grief about a year ago when we talked about the unexpected losses and adoption. I came into this having no idea I would need to know anything about grief. And Lisa, parts of your story have obvious places where it would make sense that you would have gone through a grief process. We're going to focus on one particular type or source of grief during our journey, but we recognize that there are many ways and places and areas that we need to grieve in the adoption journey. Right. So today, you know, some of the ones we think of most commonly that we're actually not going to focus on today is we're not going to talk about infertility. That really um, deserves an entire episode of its own, and that's definitely in our minds. We're also not going to focus so much on the continual hellos and goodbyes of foster care, which is a very painful process often. In fact, one of my sweet friends just last night, the baby she'd had for a year left her. And so, you know, it's very present in my mind. Jamie Finn did talk about that in her episode, and we will have a link to that episode in the show notes as well. We're also not going to talk about the loss of a child through death, even though that is part of my own grief journey and experience. Um, that's another entire thing. I think what we're going to focus on more are some of the more subtle, hidden types of grief and loss in the adoption and fostering journey. I think if we're not careful, we experience loss without recognizing it during our journey. If we're not paying attention, it kind of blindsides us with really big emotions that we might not understand because we haven't really named it. You know, Dan Siegel talks about name it to tame it. These big emotions can really become a huge part of our life and we really don't know how to process them well. Lisa, just looking through the stages of grief, we started to realize that there were these kind of micro losses along the way in our adoption journeys that really deserved to be walked through, we're going to talk about, there's traditionally five stages of grief. We're going to add a sixth. Um, well, not we're going to add a sixth. We've seen a sixth that we really relate to. So we're just going to kind of talk through the stages and talk about what that has looked like for each of us. And hopefully you'll recognize some of your big emotions along the way and hopefully have a better understanding 
for where they're coming from, and then even more importantly, how to continue to process them. Right. And I think that the value, well, there are a lot of different values or gains on recognizing these losses and naming these uh, grief experiences. One thing in my own experience is that if we don't acknowledge the losses and process them as grief, I think we tend to project all this sadness and all these different stages, anger, all of that. It's easy to project them onto other people our spouse, our children, because we can't, we're not really uh, recognizing what's happening within ourselves. So I think this is an important topic. It's one that um, has come up a lot in my work and writing and, and experiences with other foster and adoptive moms. So as much as it's a little sad and hard to talk about, I'm really glad we're tackling it today. Definitely. So the first stage of grief is denial. In some ways, it helps us survive whatever we're going through. And this is kind of when everything feels meaningless and overwhelming. Things don't make sense. Sometimes we might go numb. We're just kind of surviving rather than thriving. So a lot of you may feel like that's exactly where you are. And both Lisa and I have definitely been there probably multiple times in multiple seasons. Oh, absolutely. And I think when we were first facing many of the losses that we experienced when we added children to our family through adoption. I think part of my way of dealing with the denial was to be like, well, it's going to get better. Of course, it's hard right now. Of course, this is the way it would be. And so it's going to get better. We just have to do it right. You know, get everybody to understand what's going on, and then it's going to get better. And I think that denial helped me deal with the shock of the changes that were happening in our family you know, we went from being a really connected, close family to having just tremendous upheaval, like from literally day one. And I had to just cope with it as best I could. And the way I did it first was just to kind of push the feelings away because I couldn't be overwhelmed with fear. You know, I had to keep going. So I pushed those feelings away and kind of denied them. Yeah, I think for a long time, I also denied that what I was learning even applied to our family. Well, our children aren't the only people of color in our family, or they're not the only adopted ones, or this child wasn't abused. And of course, as we got to know more and more, we started to understand that more of these things did apply to our family. But for a long time, it felt like he was too young to remember grief, or maybe you adopted a child as an infant. And so we thought for some reason we were kind of immune from some of the other stories that we had heard or, you know, my child's never been in an institution or he, his first family was really loving and kind. I mean, there's just so many reasons why we can think we're not walking the same journey as another family or it doesn't apply to us. The second stage of grief is anger. <laughs> and I'm guessing if you're listening to this, you may have experienced some anger in your adoption and fostering journey. You know, it is a necessary stage of the healing process. I think where we, especially as foster and adoptive parents, struggle with anger is that we chose this, right? So we chose to enter the world of fostering and adopting, and we knew it would be hard. I mean, I, I think most of us go into it knowing like, okay, this is going to be a big deal. This is not a simple thing. But as we experience losses, maybe losses that when you just say them don't sound so big, like losses in our family culture, the way we live and function as a family, 
losses in the way our kids relate to each other. When we say those things, they may not seem so big, but when we are living them day in, day out in our own families, they are very big losses. And this anger that comes, we think, well, the other thing is if we're a person of faith, then that's even makes it even more complicated. So who am I angry at? Am I angry at God? Am I angry at my spouse for making this decision? Am I angry at the kids because, wow, they're a whole lot harder than I ever imagined? You know, where does this anger go? And I think if we can recognize that anger is part of the process, if we can accept it, then we don't have to really place it on anyone. We can place it on the process, I think, and open ourselves up to the fact that this is not a bad emotion. Of course, how we deal with it can can be a problem, but it's a normal part of the grieving process. Yeah, I think this is super helpful because a lot of us have found ourselves in a place of anger and resentment in our adoption journeys. When I realized how angry and resentful I was at all the things, all the people, all the children, all the social workers who didn't tell us what to expect, all the people who lied on records. I mean, there were just so many places that I could project all of that emotion. I simultaneously would feel so much shame and guilt over all these angry feelings I was having, especially when they were directed at my kids or there were bursts of anger at my spouse who really, you know, had no particular fault in the matter. Um, Anger at my own self for being angry. I mean, it just spiraled further and further out of control. And then even this is, you know, just a little pivot, thinking that these stages happen in different realizations of what we've lost. So Lisa, you've already mentioned loss of family culture. We come into this with so many expectations, right? There were certain expectations that our kids would have some level of independence from us at some point. And in our particular family, that is something we had to come to terms with. And there was a little bit of anger about that, right? We got married young, kind of with this expectation that we would have our kids young and then consequently also be finished young, right? Like we were like, we could be empty nesters at 40. (laughs) (laughs) And that's not going to be the case, right? We, We had imagined, you know, this carefree life as young empty nesters and that will probably not be. And I can laugh about it now, but it was not funny when it finally hit us as a reality. So be kind to yourself. And I think recognizing that anger is a legitimate stage of this grieving process helps us with that shame that we might be having about it. But then it also helps us understand because it's a stage, it has a beginning and it has an end. We have a place to go from here. So from anger, we often head to bargaining. It's often when we ask the what ifs, what if I had done something different? Again, if we come from a faith background, maybe we start bargaining with God. We think about going back in time. What, do you, what has your experience been with bargaining, Lisa? Well, I think maybe it was a little bit like, if I do this perfectly, then then will it all be better if I learn everything I need to know, if I find the best therapist? You know, I really lost my sense of myself as a good mom. And I kept trying to claw my way back to it. You know, like if I can, if I can fix this, then, and, and then there was the part of my head too, like, okay, this is not going the way I thought it would. Maybe, you know, I need to connect more with God. Maybe if I were spiritually in a better place, then, 
things or would I'm be a better. bad parent. Like if I were a better yeah. parent, then absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And so I definitely went through that process. And here's another thing with my personality. Okay. Well, maybe I'm learning this and we know this is true. We know this from scripture that we sometimes suffer things in order in the future to serve other people through what we've gained and learned. I do think that's true, but there's this part of me that was like, okay, okay. Maybe if I just go through this and I learn what I need to learn, then I'm, I can use it to serve and love people, which has been true, but I don't think it's part of the, I think that bargaining element of it was part of grief that I didn't really understand at the point. Yeah. And I I think we even bargained with our kids, right? We got too nurturing without enough structure. We bargained with them. Like, we understand you. If you could just do this, can we just all be happy family again? If we read another book, if we understand our kids better, you know, tell us more things, help us, tell us what you need, tell us more about what's going on in your brain. And you said like that clawing feeling like Mm -hmm. we, I wasn't necessarily clawing to get back to something as much as I was, you know, overbearing on my kids. We have to talk about feelings. You know, this is a, (laughs) this is a feelings thing. There's a healing that has to happen here. You know, if you do this, you know, if I do this for you, will you go to this terrible place in your memory so that we can process this thing once and for all and be done with it. Yeah. I mean, just all kinds of like logic, logicking how to get out of it. Right. Because it's so painful, you know, and we're, our brains are working really hard trying to figure out how to alleviate that pain, the what ifs, the, or even the if onlys. And that brings guilt. Like if only I had listened to this person, or if only we had paced ourselves differently, or if only, I mean, so many different things. And the thing is that once we are deep in this process, once we're the family we are, we have to just walk through it. We cannot fix it necessarily. And so I, I think for me, that was the bargaining process. Yeah. Or if only my child would be willing to heal, to trust, to whatever, right? We put, I put a lot of responsibility on our kids and not that we all as individuals don't have our own responsibilities for all the things and not that we're not responsible for actions, right? It doesn't mean that I'm going to let my child be aggressive or hurt someone. But if I ever write my memoir, it'll be check your logic at the door. There was so much (laughs) of my head in this bargaining process that felt like I could get out of this situation by bargaining. So the next stage, after bargaining, our attention moves into the present, and we enter the stage of depression. This is not depression in terms of like mental illness. This is not a major depressive episode. This is a natural sense of loss as we begin to realize the truth of where we are. We are facing our losses, and we may feel just deeply sad about it. You know, for me, one of our losses... We had been a homeschooling family for many, many years. Like I think at that point, about 16 years when we brought our kids home. And our life changed so dramatically that two of our daughters ended up going to school. That was a loss for me. And when I tried to express it in writing, a lot of people misunderstood and responded and said things like, well, I mean, it's not like homeschooling is that much better. Yeah, they thought it was about the homeschooling. But it really, what it was really about was 
our family culture. Homeschooling was just woven into our lives. It was how we did life together as a family. And it was part of my identity. You know, like I am a homeschooling mom. That was a very big part of who I was because it took just about everything I had to just be a homeschooling mom. I mean, it was a lot of work. And putting children in school it changes the small things like the rhythm of your days because all of a sudden that time when school used to be over and we could all just relax and I could focus on other things changed because now I had school kids coming home and it was time for homework. So like the daily flow of our lives changed, but also bigger things like when we didn't, when our children weren't in school, we had our own schedule. Like if we wanted to take a family vacation in January or something, we could do that. And so these were losses to me that were pretty significant. And I had to let myself feel the sadness of that. Yeah, this is the stage where I would finally cry about something, you know, where like just it, the wave of everything we had lost would finally kind of sink in, you know, the anger was kind of had moved on and, and I would just feel the weight and the gravity of all the things, you know, whether it be something that one of our other kids had had to endure because of a decision to bring kids from hard places into our home, whether it was, you know, just lost days and hours to crazy chaos. And I think because all the losses and our realization of different things that we've lost in this process happen at different times, we can be in multiple stages of grief at the same time, because we might be, you know, in denial about one realization that we're having about our lives, but we might be further in processing another one. So I do kind of feel this depression sometimes in waves over recognizing, you know, some of these micro losses that I didn't realize I needed to grieve before. And then all of a sudden a new one will hit me. So yeah, I, I feel like this is where we finally are sad rather than mad. I think probably my even much more significant than the the loss of being a homeschooling family was the loss of the dynamic that had existed for 20 years between my other children as siblings. You know, they they certainly squabbled and they had issues and challenges. I mean, they did. They were normal kids, but it was nothing like what happened when we brought children, particularly some older children into our family who had just experienced so many hard things in their lives and they were wired for protecting themselves and they were wired for meeting their own needs and they were distrustful and, and that all made perfect sense. But the way it impacted all of the other children, that is to this day my greatest sadness. Thankfully, we're so many years down the road now that I can see some resolution and I can see how God has worked and I can see how he's used their losses to make them the beautiful people they are. But that probably led me to the deepest, saddest places in this depression stage. Yeah. For us, it also looked like withdrawing. You know, we kept up a lot of things when we were in the midst of crazy. And I almost feel like all that anger like came out as energy. And so we still hosted a weekly small group and we tried to run a coffee shop and, 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 and when we hit the stage of depression for the most significant part of our crazy life, all of a sudden it was like 
the engine like, you know, like turned off and we really like, we did the bare minimum during the week and then everything would come to a screeching halt on the weekends. We didn't have people over anymore. The house, not that I was ever a fantastic tidier or cleaner, but it like really took a hit and we literally did not get off the sofa every weekend for probably almost two years. You know, we just, we didn't schedule birthday parties. We didn't RSVP yes to very many things. Like we would allow ourselves like one thing a month. Like, you know, if something came up, we would kind of like look at that weekend and we'd look at all the other weekends around it and be like, do you think we're going to have energy to do that? Like it took the whole weekend to revamp, to like get through the next week. And so we did just, I felt like we withdrew from the world where I'm an extrovert by personality, but I felt like in the, when we were in the deepest of a depressive season of grief, I just didn't want to leave my house. And I wanted to keep my people close. Like our chaos had ended a little bit. And so I felt like we were in this restorative place and I just, I don't know, it, everything else felt overwhelming. It just felt like we needed to simplify and withdraw from the world, kind of cocoon a little bit in a kind of a healing way. Yeah. I think that's probably one of the upsides to this season of sadness is that, you know, withdrawing is not, it can be really unhealthy, but sometimes just making our worlds a little smaller is what we all need for a season. I mean, we went from being in a pretty chaotic space to then having a short season that wasn't quite so difficult and then losing our daughter. And so, you know, wow, we really withdrew. I mean, I feel like those losses, like I don't even feel like an extrovert anymore most of the time. I used to be extremely extroverted, but it's just taking me a really long time to come back to myself. And I see it happening now, but um, I think we're forever changed and, and not all for the bad you know, a lot for the good. And, and I think we see that when we start to move into this next stage, which is acceptance. And acceptance is not saying, oh, this is okay. This is all right. You know, these losses, they aren't just simple. They aren't just okay and all right. We don't just one day say, all right, this is the new life we have. I think there's a sense for us in that we had to say, that is the family we were. And God has worked to make us a completely different kind of family. We are different. And most of my kids will say at this point that they've been changed for the better, that they are different people. They are able to love and serve more than they ever could have before. Had we continued in our sort of pretty tidy life, our life got completely messy. There was nothing tidy and there was very little pretty for a long, long time. Acceptance is when we, I think, are ready to say, especially as a person of faith, I'm ready to say, okay, God, you know better than I do. I am doing my best to walk in obedience to you and live my life for you. And this is the life you've given me and the family you've given me. And I'm going to surrender myself to whatever it is that you're calling me to right now. I think it's interesting. You talked about changes in yourself going from a more extroverted personality to needing more alone time to refill more introverted space. And that's a loss too. Like we look at the changes in who we are as people, who we are as moms, a much angrier mom than I was in some ways, right? I'm not as nice and I'm not as quick to serve outside. Like I was always the mom who took meals to other people when my kids were toddlers. And I was always initiating playdates and adventures. I'm not that mom anymore. And my kids who are younger missed out on that mom 
and even our older kids, we have our kids by birth are smack in the middle. <laughs> so they have different memories. And but we entered chaos pretty quickly, just like you did when our older kids came home. And our last adoptions were adopted into a family where fun mom had retired already a couple years earlier. And she's starting to emerge again. And so fortunately, even as young adults, they're able to reconnect with me as a more fun person. But you know, I had this image of myself as being a cool, fun mom. And, you know, my husband would be like, you're not fun anymore, you know, and having to grieve that reality of even who I was as a person was really hard. One area where we've had to sort of go through this process is, of course, we knew when we adopted that we were going to be older parents. We knew that. But hey, when we were 42, we felt so young, you know, what's, what's bringing home a baby at 42? I mean, nowadays, people are having babies in their 40s. But as we are still parenting, you know, we've got a sixth grader and a seventh grader and then a high school junior still at home. Our friends are not parenting middle schoolers. You know, we have new friends that are younger than we are and they're, that's awesome. But our friends who are really our age are becoming empty nesters. And sometimes we look at their lives and we think, wow. I hate to even tell you how old we're going to be when our youngest graduates from high school, but it's been a little bit of a loss, maybe even more for Russ and for me, because he envisioned that the day would come when I'd be able to travel with him when he was traveling for work. Of course, when I had a ton of babies, that was completely out of the question. He was looking forward to the day when that would happen. And honestly, even now, it is very hard for me to get away overnight or for both of us together to get away overnight. And so that's, that's been something that we've had to accept, that it's going to come later for us than it's come for a lot of our friends. And the upside of that is I do think having young kids when you're older, it keeps us tired, but it does keep us younger. And I'm thankful for that. One of the parts of acceptance for me is I've used this term radical acceptance. And it's just this idea that, we can find peace in where we are. Again, it's not this like it's okay in the sense that like it's just or fair <laughs> or what we expected. It allows us to not fight against it. It's related to mindfulness. I've often heard mindfulness described as being able to make observations about the present state, the very present state, whether it be your internal present state, what's going on circumstantially around you, what's happening for the people around you, the feelings of the people around you, anything that you can notice about this exact moment and noticing it without any judgment for any of it. Judgment for how you're feeling, judgment for the circumstances, judgment for how the people around you are feeling. This may seem hard or even pointless, but there's this crazy thing that happens when you can come to this level of peace that opens up a world of options and creativity and the ability to take the next step. Sometimes I think when we're in the depressive stage right before this, like we feel like this is forever. This is the end of life. This is what the future will bring from here till forever. And it's not until we can do this acceptance stage that we can kind of pivot and turn and take the next step forward, whatever that thing is. So that's been hugely helpful for us and to, for us to even have the mental space to redefine success, for success not to be 
that our kids launch between the ages of 18 and 23, not for success to be that our child can get ready for bed without 73 reminders, you know, that success is this acceptance stage. And that if we can get here and we feel successful, it's, we talked a little bit about this in our mind platter episode, but it's kind of a brain hack for feeling like we can keep moving, like feeling like we can move on. So it's interesting. Uh, we found some great information on a website, which we'll put in um, the show notes as well, called grief.com. Just to, we needed a reminder of what all of these stages were. David Kessler has written a book about the sixth stage of grief. And sixth stage, he says, is finding meaning. And when I saw that, that resonated so much with me because I think that's been so important to me in moving even beyond acceptance and finding purpose and meaning in our experience. And it's led me into deeper faith. It's led me into serving a community. I didn't have any idea I would serve. It's been extremely helpful for me. I need purpose. I really do. And I need, this cannot be wasted. I just can't bear to think that the process we've gone through of grief and loss in the multiple ways that we have in our family, I don't believe God wastes anything. And I would not want to live in a life that was just chaos where there was no meaning and purpose. There is purpose and finding meaning has been really important for me in my personal journey of grief. You know, I've had a couple moms say to me, I don't even know how you and Lisa do what you do. We know you have, you know, your own plates full at home. And I'll tell you, a year and a half ago, I couldn't have been doing this. I was in a different stage of this grief process, and I couldn't even get on Facebook groups, adoption Facebook groups. I just, I couldn't even read the posts. I was so triggered by it all. I don't know. I, I, this, is a, this is the next stage for us at this point is finding meaning, being able to give back, being able to serve, being able to redeem some of the hard years. And who knows? I don't know how long this season will last. Hopefully it'll be for a long time because this is the feels not like the end of the road, but it feels like the end of some really hard for both of us that we're able to kind of re-emerge with some sense of being able to walk with other families in different stages of this process without, you know, being completely drawn in or being in our own crazy. And I don't know how long that'll last. You know, we have everything changes year to year in our family for sure. We've talked about this like a year ago, we were in a completely different place than where we are now, but there is something beautiful about being able to very intentionally and tangibly see that all the hard, hard, hard that we've walked through is able to help others. I probably could have walked through all these stages without this, but this is kind of like the icing on the cake. I agree. I really do. I, I have to believe, and I do believe, that we are being made into the people that God wants us to be and that he's used everything, everything in our lives for that. And I I think being able to serve our community of fostering adoptive parents is just, it is beautiful. It is beauty from ashes for me. It is you know the oil of joy for mourning and all of the things that um, scripture promises us. And so you listeners out there, if we are, have served you, we are blessed and we are thankful and we are honored that we are able to do that for you because 
this is this is life and we're we're glad we're just so glad that we can do this thank you for letting us into your space and trusting us because both lisa and i have been in spaces where it was really hard to reach outside of the chaos that we were in or to trust anyone to even know what was going on because we did we felt like failures we felt isolated we felt like we had already tried literally everything and so many people hadn't come through with the kind of help that we needed. And of course we had, you know, some fantastic people and support along the way, but it never quite felt like enough. And it was hard. It got to the point where we were having, at least I'll speak for our family. We were having trouble trusting people because we had been denied services or burned by people saying, you know, comments that just weren't thoughtful or whatever it might be. So we understand if you're listening or engaging with the Adoption Connection in any way that this is a huge step for you guys as well. And we appreciate the privilege of being able to walk alongside you if you've you know, been able to benefit from any of the resources. So we've mentioned a couple of past episodes as we've been talking, and I just want to encourage you to, especially if you're new to our podcast, Go back and listen to some of the past episodes, particularly in relationship to grief and loss. Uh, Jamie Finn is our, our good friend, and she was episode number 20, talking about foster care. And then in episode 31, we talked about the Healthy Mind Platter by Dan Siegel, and you can find um, a link to that in today's show notes, but also if you want to go back and listen to that episode about just taking care of ourselves so that we have the capacity for our kids to take care of our kids. To share how the pandemic has affected your family or to just get some encouragement, we would love to have you join the conversation over in our Facebook group. The links and all the resources for this episode can be found in the show notes at theadoptionconnection.com slash 82. Before you go, we'd love to connect with you on social media. You can find us on Facebook or Instagram as The Adoption Connection. Thanks so much for listening. We love having you. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave a quick review over on iTunes. It will help us reach more moms who may be feeling alone. And remember, until next week, you're a good mom doing good work, and we're here for you. The music for the podcast is called New Day and was created by Lee Rosevere.